Selamat pagi, nama saya Ben. <laughs> I hope I said that right. Good morning, HMCC of Tangerang in Jakarta. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. Also want to thank everyone here that's helping to record this message for you. I'm really excited to um, be with you this morning, albeit it's going to be uh, via video. Um, I'm the pastor here at HMCC of Austin. Um, we want to send our greetings to you from the great state of Texas. Let's see, a little bit about myself. been married to my wonderful wife, Susan. We just celebrated our 17th year wedding anniversary. Um, have three growing boys. Isaiah, he's about to turn 14, which is kind of scary because here in the U.S., once you turn 16, you can start driving, which means he only has two more years left. Uh, my second, Joshua, he's actually turning 12 tomorrow. Um, and then uh, Nathaniel, who is uh, seven. Uh, we've been living here in the great state of Texas for the last uh, 12 years and really have the privilege of doing ministry here uh, right on the University of Texas campus as well as in the city of Austin. Um, really thankful for the friendship that we have with all of your pastors, with Pastor Andrew and Nikki. We've, then, we've known them for such a long time now, ever since our days uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, at the University of Michigan campus uh, with uh, Pastor Eric and Tina. Hope to see them in August, as well as uh, Pastor John and Esther. It was a, really a great privilege to uh, see the commissioning service y'all had for them. And uh, we're really thankful for this gospel partnership with not only the pastors, but with all of you as well. I know that we are living through some very uh, unique, uh, it's a unique time uh, faced with just many different challenges. Um, I know that things have not necessarily been easy with just the various lockdowns. I know many of my friends whose loved ones have gotten sick and so forth, and a lot of uncertainties uh, surrounding our future. And I believe, uh, even as I'm recording this message, that y'all are in the middle of a, a national lockdown as well, and uh, we are praying for you. Um, and if there is anything that this past year and a half has really taught us, is this reality that regardless of whether you live here in the U.S. or over there in Indonesia, uh, that none of us enjoy a perfect and pain-free life that there is always going to be brokenness uh, in us, brokenness surrounding us. But it's in the midst of these difficult circumstances that we face that God reminds us that he is Jehovah Rapha, that he is the Lord who heals. And so with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Exodus 15, 22 through 27. So I'm going to go ahead and read this for us from the ESV. This is the word of God for us this morning. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord 
your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. As we look into this passage for us this morning, the one thing that I want to give us simply is this. In the various struggles of life, remember God who is our healer. In the various struggles and the difficulties that we experience in life, remember God who is our healer. So there's two observations that we want to make from this passage. First of all, we want to talk about the problem that the people encountered, and then we want to talk about the promise that God speaks into their lives, the problem and then the promise, okay? Well, let's go and look at the problem. We see the problem in verses 22 through 25a. Now, in verse 22, it gives us the context of understanding what is going on here. So let's go and read that again. It says, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And so for your reference, uh, here's a sample map showing where exactly the Red Sea is. And so if you imagine coming out of Egypt and they need to cross over the Red Sea to get into the Promised Land. And I think many of us are familiar with the story of Moses, right? And how God sent him to rescue the people of Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt. And as the people of God went out from Egypt, God led them through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. But when the people came to the Red Sea, what did they find themselves in? They found themselves trapped because they couldn't go any farther because the Red Sea was literally in their way. But they couldn't go back either because the Egyptians decided, hey, you know what? We want our slaves back. And so that they, they sent their army to track down the Israelites. And so in the U.S., we have a phrase that describes a situation like that. We say that you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And literally, the people of God were stuck between the Red Sea and the armed forces of Egypt. And so the people of God, if you imagine just being in that situation, they were overcome by despair and even began complaining that they should have never left the land of Egypt and they should have never followed Moses out. But in that moment, we see God intervening and miraculously he parted the Red Sea and allowed the people of God to what? To pass through to the other side. But not only that, when the Egyptian army actually came after them through that passage, God closed the walls of water and rescued Israel from their pursuers. And so just imagine the sense of relief, the sense of awe that God, the people of God must have felt as they experienced this mighty power of God that was able to save them. And just Imagine this confidence, the sense of confidence that they must have had in God. So as Moses led them out from the Red Sea, we're told that they began to travel through the wilderness of Shur. Now the wilderness of Shur was the complete opposite of the Red Sea, right? So when you imagine Red Sea, it's nothing but water. But the wilderness of Shur, it was nothing but dry land with no water in sight. In fact, we're told that they traveled for three days without finding any water. And so I Googled, I asked Google, Google, how many days can a person survive without water? And Google told me approximately three days, which meant that they were literally at their wit's end, that they were pushed to their limits. And when they finally found some water, that water turned out to be bitter. In other words, you couldn't drink it. It was no good. 
So they named the place Mara, which meant bitter. Now listen to how Israel responded in verse 24. It says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now you have to remember, just three days ago, what were they doing? They were celebrating and praising God because God broke through and he miraculously rescued them. But now, they're back, grumbling, complaining because of their circumstances. Now, think about the situation. Three days ago, what did they face? They faced the problem of what? Of water. As they stood before the Red Sea, thinking that there's no way that they were able to cross over that large body of water and escape from the Egyptians. God did a miracle. And now, in the wilderness... Think about what is the problem that they face now? Well, the problem hasn't changed. The problem is still with water, right? Because before they had too much water, and now they just don't have enough. And I think it's really amazing how quickly the Israelites forgot about God. They forgot what God had done. And they forgot what God can do even now. I think that's also the reality in many of our lives as well. I think that's the reality in my life. It doesn't take me too long to forget about what God has done for me and what God can do for me even now. Now, the question is, why did God lead them through the desert for three days without water? Only to bring them to water that was no good. And this is what we're told in verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Now listen to what Dr. Tony Evans, he's an American pastor and teacher, listen to what Dr. Evans writes. He says, and I quote, The information God had given to the Israelites three days before Marah was that he was bigger than water. He was more powerful than water. He was greater than water. He could intervene in their water problem in a way they couldn't anticipate or predict. And three days after God taught the Israelites the lesson on water, he tested on them. Excuse me, he tested them on it. He gave them a water test, unquote. You see, the, the water test was a test to see if they remembered how God provided for them when there was no way out for them. And it was a test to see if they would continue to turn to him and if they would continue to trust in him. A.W. Tozer, he's a great American pastor and theologian who lived during the mid-1900s. This is what he says. He says, and I quote, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply, unquote. Now, I don't know if that's an encouraging quote or if that's like, oh, man, That God doesn't use anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Now, it's important for me to say here that not all trials that we experience in life, that they are from God to test us. Because we know that some of the trials that we experience is because we actually made bad choices, right? So, for example, right now I'm on a quest to try to become healthier, 
because when I was younger, I actually made bad choices of eating not so great food. Other trials we experience because we live in a fallen world, and the reality of this fallen world is that things are not going to function properly, that we're going to be sinned against by others, and we're actually going to sin against others. And whenever we go through trials, we know that it's very difficult. Right? Trials are very difficult. There's no way around it. I remember three years ago, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And when our family first heard the news, it was devastating. It completely took us off guard. And even though I, as a pastor, knew in my head all the Bible verses, and I knew that God never promises perfect health, Still, it was a very bitter pill for me to swallow to see my dad go through something like this. We know that trials are never easy. But when we go through trials, I think there's two things that God does through these trials as he tests us. First of all, we're tested through trials. When we are tested through trials, God uses them to expose our hearts. And it's not exposing our hearts as in God doesn't really know what's in our hearts. God doesn't really know what's in my heart, so he has to see and peer and know. God knows exactly what's in our hearts, but it's so that the people themselves are able to see what is really in their hearts. God exposes, God exposed the heart of Israel to, to help them to see whether they truly learn the lesson of, of trusting in God or not, and obviously they haven't. And so when we are tested through trials, first of all, it exposes our hearts. Not only does it expose our hearts, but secondly, it strengthens our faith. Now listen to what James tells us. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he, this is what he says. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what James is reminding us is not the fact that trials are the joy. No, trials are never the joy, right? Because pain is pain. But he says we count it all joy. Why? Because when we experience trials, James tells us that God redeems these trials in our lives to produce in us steadfastness. Now, the word steadfastness there means to endure, to have endurance. Kind of like, you know, the Olympics are coming up, and one of the events that our family likes to watch, it's the marathon. It's because we're really bad at long-distance racing. And you need endurance to be able to run that race. And that's what James is saying. That these trials that we go through in our lives, it produces endurance in us. When we meet trials, it tests us in our faith. And when our faith gets tested, it produces in us endurance of our faith. And so it's kind of like this. So picture a butterfly cocoon, right? 
And so once again, Dr. Tony Evans, he tells a story of a young boy who discovered one day a, a butterfly cocoon in his backyard and he was so excited. And so he checked up on that butterfly cocoon every day until finally he began to see that butterfly emerging from the cocoon, struggling to get out. And as the boy was looking at the cocoon, and the butterfly struggling to escape from that cocoon, he was filled with compassion. And so he thought, you know what? I'm going to help that butterfly. And so he took out a little knife, and he enlarged that hole for the butterfly to get out. And sure enough, the butterfly finally came out, but instead of flying away, it just laid there. And Dr. Tony Evans goes, and goes on, and he says that what this little young boy failed to realize was that the butterfly struggled to escape, that that was actually what it needed to strengthen its wings. See, the, the struggle of the butterfly was designed to strengthen the wings of the butterfly so that it can be prepared for the flight. And the boy's act of compassion actually crippled the butterfly from taking flight. When you and I, when we struggle in our faith, that struggle actually helps to strengthen our faith so that our faith won't be temporary, but our faith will endure. Now listen to what David Mathis, he's an American pastor, listen to what he writes about this. He says, and I quote, Faith does not flourish when it lies untested. It atrophies when it goes unexercised. And eventually it dies. So when God loves us with his saving love and gives us saving faith, he commits because he cares for us to inject our lives with various trials to train, grow, sweeten, strengthen, and mature when what matters most in us. Our various trials in this life are not super, superfluous to our enduring in faith, and they are not just threats to losing our faith. They are one of God's essential means through which he preserves the faith he has given us and keeps us as his own, unquote. The struggles that we experience in our faith, those struggles weren't meant to discourage us, those struggles weren't meant to destroy us, but those struggles were meant to strengthen us and to preserve the faith. The seasons that we go through of being tested and refined, James reminds us that they are a gift from God, that they are an expression of his grace. And the season that we went through watching my dad battle cancer of just receiving different treatments and not certain whether the outcome was going to be for better or for worse, just looking back during that season, it, we can truly say that it really was a gift from God. Not because of the uncertainty and the struggle and the pain that we experienced, but because of the, the struggle and the pain that we experienced that we grew closer, not only to one another as a family, but we grew closer to God as we wrestled with him in prayer. And as we clung to his love for all of us, 
It strengthened our faith and it deepened our joy in him. The problem of Shur and Mara, it wasn't the problem of water, but it was a problem of trust. And the only way that the people would have strengthened their trust muscle is through their struggles of Shur and Mara. And just thinking about some of the struggles that we might be going through right now in our lives. And we're thinking to ourselves, if only that thing or that situation or that circumstance would disappear. But maybe what God is reminding us is that the problem necessarily isn't these struggles or that situation. But maybe the problem is trust, faith, belief. And it's through these trials that God is wanting to strengthen the trust muscle in our lives. So not only the problem, but let's close out with the promise. The promise, and we see this in verses 25b all the way to 27. So when the people grumbled against Moses, God showed him a log, which is kind of weird, but he says, all right, here's a log. You pick up the log, and he threw it into the water, and that water became sweet. In other words, That water was good now for the people to drink. Now listen to what God says to the people after, once again, he intervenes in their lives by performing another miracle through water. He says this in verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am God who heals. Now, I want to say this very clear. It's very important for us to realize that when God declares that he is our God who heals, he's not just talking about how if we trust in God, if we go to church faithfully every single Sunday, and if we tithe, and if we participate in life group, that We will never experience physical sickness or that he will always heal our bodies. That's not what God is saying here. So let's think about what God is saying here. Let's think about what God is saying about himself when he declares that he is our Jehovah Rapha. So God says this, if you will, first of all, diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and then secondly, to do what is right in his eyes, and thirdly, to give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. Then he says that he promises not to bring on them the diseases that he inflicted on the Egyptians. Now, if you remember the story of Moses, when Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, when Moses came to speak to him, the man of God, and said, let my people go, what did Pharaoh do? He refused to let them go. And so God inflicted on Egypt the ten plagues. And so the whole design of the plagues was God demonstrating to the Egyptians that he was greater than any of their gods and their goddesses, that he was the one true God. But what did they do? They refused to listen. They refused to worship him. And so what is God telling the people here? Well, he's telling the people, don't be like the Egyptians who refuse to listen and obey. But God promised that if they listened and obeyed his word, then they will be restored back to him and that they will be made whole from their brokenness. 
God who is our healer is God who restores us back to himself so that we can know his forgiveness, so that we can know his peace in the midst of the storms that we experience in life, so that we can know his strength that plants us firmly in his promises for us. That we can know the certainty of his love. That we can know his rod and his staff that guides us even through the valley of shadow of death. That's what God promises when he says that he is our healer. That he's going to make us whole. That we're going to be restored back to him. And here's the amazing thing about this promise that God makes. That even as God spoke this promise into the lives of his people, God knew His people, what were they going to do? They were going to fail him over and over and over again. God knew that reality. That they were imperfect people. That they were prone to wander. But despite that fact, God demonstrates that he is indeed God who heals by placing their failures on who? On Jesus And it's through his wounds that we are healed. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, God knew fully well that the people, that they would never be able to obey his commandments. But God makes this promise that I will heal you. And so he sends his son. And what did Jesus do? Jesus took upon himself all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins. And he died the death that you and I should have died. But he also rose again. And in his resurrection, we see hope for our own future resurrection. See, in Jesus, we see this reality that God is indeed our healer. Not because we deserve it, not because somehow we can perfectly obey God, but despite our shortcomings, that he is faithful and that he is able to, through his son, restore us back to himself. My dad's um, cancer, thank God, it's in remission now. And we thank God for the treatment that worked. But there's always that uncertainty of what if it comes back? But despite the uncertainties of what the future might hold, we can honestly say that God used that trial to remind all of us just how good and faithful he is that in the midst of the treatments and the uncertainties and wrestling with God in prayer, God reminded us, 2 Corinthians 4.17, where he writes, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but The things that are unseen are eternal. It was this great reminder that even though the physical healing 
never promised. But we are able to find hope and joy in this reality that we are restored to him. And because of that restoration, that there's a future hope, that there's an eternal promise. And that regardless of what happens to us here on this earth, in our physical bodies, God reminds us that nothing will be able to separate us from his love for all of eternity. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that we belong to God. And that we will be restored back to God through the death and the resurrection of Christ for all of eternity. And this is God's reminder for us that God is a God who heals. So how do we apply this into our lives? Well, let's close out with these two life applications. First of all, what this means is that we have to be willing to yield to God. We have to be willing to yield to God. So yielding to God means that we have to remember that God is our shepherd and it's the responsibility of the shepherd to lead and to guide and we are the sheep and it's the responsibility of the sheep to follow. Just as God led Israel through the wilderness and sometimes that path that he leads us through, it's not necessarily going to make sense. But even if it doesn't make sense, he calls us to yield, to follow him. Can you yield to God? Can you yield to his leading in your life? And not only yielding to God, but ultimately that we're able to yield to God because we trust in him. So this means, number two, that you have to trust God, that you have to trust God. And the reality is that God's ways, it's always not going to make sense, right? It's, excuse me, it's not always going to make sense much better. It's not always going to make much sense. All the time, like God taking Israel through the wilderness and then telling Moses to throw the log into the water. I mean, it didn't make any sense. But the reality is that God doesn't need for us to understand, but God needs for us to trust. And listen to what happened to Israel, and we'll close with this that when we yield our life to him and when we trust him, look at verse 27. This is what we read. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And so once again, Dr. Tony Evans writes this. He says, and I quote, After God taught the Israelites and revealed to them his name, Jehovah Rapha, he immediately took them to Elam, where there was more than enough of a good thing for everyone. But notice that the Israelites didn't get to Elam by skipping Mara. They got to Elam by going through the test of Mara. They discovered Elam once they discovered Jehovah Rapha, unquote. And I think that's such a wonderful reminder that we go to Elam, this, this place of God's promise, and we don't skip Mara. We don't skip the testing. We don't skip the trials, but it's through the difficulties. It's through the trials in our lives that we discover that God is our healer.
may God remind all of us that he is at work, even through all the craziness of everything that's going on, that he is at work in strengthening our faith so that our faith isn't just for the moment, but our faith will last and will endure. And that even as he tests us, he reminds us that he is at work in our lives and making us whole and restoring us back to himself, that he is Jehovah Rapha. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then after I pray for us, I'm going to invite the pastors from each of the churches to lead us in a time of closing out. So let's go and pray together. Father, we thank you for um, your promise that you are a God who heals. You are a God who is at work in, in restoring us back to yourself. That in that restoration that we experience forgiveness, in that restoration we experience your peace, we experience your joy. That in that restoration that we find strength so that regardless of the storms that we go through in life, that we can trust in you, that we can believe in you, that we can follow your leading for us. And so I just pray this morning for all of my brothers and sisters that you will continue to strengthen their hearts, that you will continue to strengthen their faith in you and help them to know that even when we experience trials, it's not because you hate us, it's not because you are ignoring us, but you're using it all for our good that you're using it, God, to strengthen our faith so that our faith will endure. So do that work, God, of reminding us that you are good, that you are trustworthy, that you are a God who works to heal. So we thank you and we praise you, God, for this morning, and we pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.